0: You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. Alright, I am here. Aaron is here. This show's presented by Window Nation. If you're in the market for Windows, call 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com and tell them we told you to call. Game of Thrones recap coming up at the end of the show. I did wait. I did wait until the end of the Toronto-Philadelphia game to watch it. In fact, I didn't start watching it until about 10 o'clock, so I stayed off Twitter so I wouldn't see anything. But I did have a sense, Aaron, um, last night and early this morning from a few um, texts from friends that not everyone felt the same way that I did, which is, and I'll just give you my headline, from my perspective, I liked it. Some nits to pick, but overall, I thought it was damn good. I mean, we're going to get to it later on in detail. Do you want to give me a headline for the way you felt?
1: I would say felt better after sleeping on it. Have one huge problem.
0: Okay. All right. So there you go. Big tease for Marin for later in the show. Spoiler alerts. The appropriate spoiler alert before we start talking about it uh, will be provided uh, on this show. Uh, plenty of sports to get to. Um, if you read the post sports section... This morning, you'd probably expect me to lead with soccer. Uh, DC United beating Sporting KC 1-0, Aaron. Very exciting. It took up much of the sports section's front page. No NBA at all on the front page of the post this morning. None. Two game sevens, nothing on it until you get to page D6 in the sports section. Look, they know what they're doing. They know who they're trying to attract. Um, I'm not about to tell them how to run their business. I would never do that. I probably would, but I'm not going to do it now. I like several people at the Post. I I, I do. Feinstein told me as recently as a year ago that I was irresponsible if I didn't read the Post sports section cover to cover before doing a sports talk radio show in this city. He did. He actually did. Uh, That, by the way, um, what he suggested to me, just is not true. You do not have to read it to do a sports talk podcast or radio show or anything else. Um, first of all, it's, this newspaper is outdated already by the time you get it. Um, anyway, uh, by the way, the Nats, the Nats got two of the four in L.A. No offense, Aaron, to speak of. They nearly got no hit yesterday by Dodgers lefty uh, Ryu um, they go three and seven on this big road trip. I did were you paying attention to the no no he had going into the eighth?
1: Yeah, a little bit. I I wasn't actually watching it, but I was following it. Yeah,
0: it was um sort of going on while other things were going on, including basketball. But they're seven and a half back of the Phillies after this three and seven
1: road trip. Anybody getting fired? Right this second, no, but I still think it's very much I, I said Memorial Day last time. I still think that's very much in play. Well, I mean,
0: one of the big issues clearly still um, deals with their inability to score enough. And they had Soto back yesterday. And they had Rendon back yesterday. Um, and they've had Rendon back for, for a few games now. Um, just not enough offense for this baseball team right now. They got a good start from Strasburg uh, the other day. They got a decent start from Scherzer. Uh, but they uh, end up 3-7 and seven on this trip. And maybe the 2-4 of four in Los Angeles... Um, two of the losses, by the way, uh, shut, came via shutout yesterday and on Saturday, I believe was the uh, the other shutout. Uh, but they get the Mets here um, for, uh, I think, seven of their next ten. Um, the Mets are ahead of them. In the division. In fact, they're seven and a half behind Philadelphia, but they also fell further back of the Mets and Braves, who got on a little bit of a winning streak over the weekend. Um, I think they're four and a half back now of Atlanta and three and a half behind New York. So there are three teams in front of them. And the Nats are 16-24. and 24. So there's that. Uh, J.P. Finley is going to join us in a bit. We'll talk to him about Redskins minicamp over the weekend. I wanted to say three quick things. In We're going to get to the NBA here, I promise. I wanted to say three quick things about the Vinny Serrato interview on Friday. Um, I got a lot of, I mean, I'm sure you did too on our Twitter page. Yep. A lot of feedback on the Vinny Serrato interview. Um, and I appreciate all of it. I really do. Um, three things. One, I did not think he was eating while doing the interview. I can't tell you how many people said real classy. He was chewing food while he was answering, answering your questions and doing the interview. I never heard that. I went back and tried to listen to it. I never heard that. Did you? There was some
1: shuffling in the in the background. I don't know if it was he was specifically in his he, he was in or, his car yeah there there were some noises. I could see how it would sound like eating.
0: okay I, I don't I don't think he was eating. He was in his car driving into work. um I never heard that. um the second thing I wanted to mention was he was reluctant to go deep into things. I definitely got that sense. Aaron and I sat here and we looked at each other as we were recording this interview and we could tell that he was pretty reluctant. I think some of it is that he doesn't want to crush Dan. He liked Dan, even though they haven't talked in a while, he still likes Dan. Um, I think some of it was me. Uh, you know, I put things out there and he, and I had the sense when I was doing the interview on Friday and I could have been wrong, But I tend to have a good sense of when to really push somebody um, and when if too much pushing or being too aggressive could end it. And I did have that sense at times that it was a little bit uncomfortable. He was uncomfortable. I, I talked to him afterwards, and I don't think he was as uncomfortable as I thought. Um, but there's no doubt he was reluctant to sort of go deep into things. Um, anyway, I, I did have that sense. So those of you that said, man, he just he wouldn't go far enough on certain things, I felt the same way. Lastly, um, and this is the thing that stuck out more than anything else with me from the interview with Vinny on Friday's podcast. If you didn't hear it, um, go listen to it because it was interesting. I mean, there was a lot about the past, but the thing that stuck with me was something about the future. Um, And that was that he sort of admitted or certainly knows that there have been a lot of stories about Dan running the first round of the draft this year and that Haskins was Dan's pick. And he made the comment, he said, Dan is always right, never wrong. It'll always be someone else who will have to take the blame. I'm paraphrasing at this point, you know, somebody will have to fall on their sword. For Dan. It was right around the 27 minute mark of the podcast. If you want to go back and listen to that whole section from Friday's podcast and listen to it, about the 27 minute mark where he started to talk about Dan and the, you know, Dan's handling of the first round of the draft. Um, That stuck with me because this is the root of the organization's problem, the narcissism. By the way, uh, also uh, Bruce's narcissism. Dan and Bruce, both tremendously narcissistic it'll never allow them to admit mistakes it'll never you know put them into position to make them feel like they should take accountability for mistakes because they don't think they're the ones making the mistakes it's always somebody else's fault i've mentioned this many times going back to late in the season um, and I know Vinny is talking in part about, you know, just, you know, the process of, hey, you got to take one for the team. You know, it's the owner, can't let him be the bad guy, um, you got to take one for the team. But Dan really doesn't think he's done anything wrong in running this team. And Bruce doesn't either. So if Haskins works out, Dan's going to be there to accept congratulations. And if it happens, and I've said this multiple times since that draft pick, it could be his finest moment as an owner. I think it would be if Haskins turns into Ben Roethlisberger, it will be Dan Snyder's finest moment as the owner of the Redskins, because he told everybody in that room, F off. This is who we're taking. Now, Vinny, when I brought that up, said, no, hiring Joe Gibbs was his finest moment. And for sure, that's number one on the list right now. You know, it's a short list. Of really fine moments for the owner. Short list, very short list. Um, But Joe Gibbs after the Spurrier disaster was a stroke of genius. It didn't lead to a championship, you know, but let's be honest two playoff trips in four years with one playoff win, an actual playoff win, would seem like a miracle now. So Joe Gibbs had the most success here, and Dan went and got him. So that was his number one to date, positive contribution. You know, it was Dan's big biggest success. And keep in mind, we're talking about Dan's biggest success being hiring a coach that went 30 and 34 here over four years. Under 500, Joe Gibbs was. But I do agree that Joe was Dan's best move as owner so far. But understand what Vinny was saying. Um, Dan made the Haskins pick. The football people, you know, weren't terribly happy about it or behind it. By the way, as an aside to that, I want to be clear about something that some of you have sort of extrapolated out to be a different meaning when I have said the football people didn't want Haskins. When I've said that the football people didn't want Haskins, they didn't want Haskins at 15. I've made that clear. It's not clear to everybody, so I just want to emphasize it. I'm not saying and haven't said that the football people didn't think Haskins was worth something you know, late first, second round, they just didn't think he was worth it at 15. They didn't like any quarterback not named Kyler Murray at 15. And as I've said before, I've said this before, if they hadn't taken him at 15, they actually may have gotten him later in the first where they got sweat. But it doesn't mean that if they had, let's just say the football people had a second round grade on Haskins. All right. Let's just say that that's true. It could be true, by the way, that the football people had a second-round grade on Haskins. That doesn't mean that they don't think he can play. Andy Dalton was a second-round pick, and Gruden uh, Gruden made him work really well. But anyway, I just wanted to make sure that, that all of you, I think most of you have understood this, but not all of you, but I want to make sure that all of you understand that when any of us say Dan wanted him more than the football people wanted him. It didn't mean that the football people didn't like Haskins. They just didn't like Haskins there. That's not the grade they had on him. But back to what Vinny was saying. Dan is going to take credit if there's credit to be taken. And it will be Jay Gruden's fault if there is no credit to be taken on this. Period. End of discussion. Dan will never take blame for this, if it doesn't work out. Jay Gruden will be long gone if this doesn't work out. That's the reality of this. And that creates an interesting dynamic to all of it. You know, you watch Jay and Jay wants to win, but he also now has the owner's prized jewel at quarterback that he needs to develop. So a lot. Of stuff going on there, I really do hope that Haskins, um, that Haskins just comes in, soaks it all up, is coachable, stays focused on getting better at football and being coachable. He has talent; no one will dispute that. He's got some real talent, and he's only played one year of college football, starting. You know, with the exception of the year before when he played some at the end of the season. So there's plenty of room for all of us to be optimistic about the potential growth. He could turn into something so much better than any of us who were not Haskins people ever thought. I've left open the possibility that because there was limited play, that two, three, four years from now, he could grow into something special. Physically, he has all of it. Um... On minicamp this weekend, Jay did have some good things to say about him over the weekend. There were no red flag quotes from Jay, so all is well right now. J.P. Finley, uh, in a bit, we'll talk to J.P. about Redskins minicamp, rookie minicamp. Let's get to the NBA playoffs, and I want to go in order, chronological order, starting with Friday night, because Friday night was spectacular. It was one of those moments uh, in these NBA playoffs. And for a particular team and a particular player, Steph Curry, it was a big moment to throw on to the, you know, the long list of moments that will define his legacy. Zero points and completely discombobulated in the first half. 33 in the second half. And the Warriors move on and the loser Rockets go home. I heard, by the way, they're working on a report that details how they had 5.3 points taken away from them in that that game six, and that the wrong team has advanced to the conference finals. I I hope they do produce one of those reports that says that officiating cost them game six. Nothing Steph Curry did. Steph was amazing in the second half. Clay Thompson was amazing in the first half of that game on Friday night. They won essentially two games without Kevin Durant to close out the Rockets. I know Durant got hurt in the third quarter, but we know what happened in the remaining part of the third quarter of game five and in the fourth quarter of game five. And we saw what happened game in game six on Friday night. They won that series without Durant. Durant was huge in the the early portions of the series. I'm not trying to take anything away from him, but a lot of people didn't think that that would happen when Kevin Durant went out with the calf strain in the third quarter in game five. And not only did it happen, it happened immediately. They shut it down in game six on the road. And how did they do it? They did it with championship heart. I know that sounds cliche, if not corny, but it is something. It's in, and when you're watching it, you know you're watching it. Draymond Green, Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, Andre Iguodala. Iguodala, by the way, had five threes in that game. Five! Andrea Iguodala, five huge threes, championship threes, five of them in a game six on the road. Sean Livingston, champion, 11 off the bench. Guys that hadn't played much, but have had some of that championship stuff rub off on them, played well. Quinn Cook, Jerebko, Kevon Looney was so valuable to this team in this series. That team just has it. Their coach has it. Steve Kerr didn't call them effing giants Aaron after the game on Friday night he just called them giants and he's right again i know it sounds like cliche to talk about heart and championship heart and and but there's something about that championship thing that's cool to watch they just have a belief that comes with having done it 4 times didn't matter that there was no durant didn't matter that curry had dislocated fingers they have it. And you know who doesn't have it? James Harden doesn't have it. D'Antoni doesn't have it. Houston's owner guaranteed they'll be back and they'll win it all. Not playing the way they play. All right. Not playing the way they play. Their best player on Friday night was Chris Paul. And do you know what D'Antoni did during the biggest stretch of the basketball game? He took Chris Paul out of the game two and a half minutes from the five and a half minute mark until like the 210 mark somewhere around there or, or I'm sorry uh the 310 mark Chris Paul who was the best player for Houston on Friday night was out of the game that made no sense to me during those two and a half minutes with Paul on the bench with four fouls by the way not like he was in t- terrible foul trouble and who cares with five minutes to go in the game they went from a tie game at 97 97 to a five-point deficit. Warriors took a 102-97 lead, never looked back. Couldn't believe that nobody picked up on that. Didn't hear the announcers, Friday night's ABC crew talking about it. I don't think anybody asked D'Antoni about it. Their best player Friday night was Chris Paul, and he left the game, was taken out of the game for the biggest two-and-a-half-minute stretch of the fourth quarter. D'Antoni, Harden, all of them. They're going They went home. They're done. Their best opportunity lost. The only way they get to a title series is if Golden State breaks up, you know, Klay Thompson leaves, they get hurt, they get old, they get bored. But Friday night was one team is a champion and the other is the furthest thing from it. And it was spectacular to watch Steph Curry hit some of those threes. The one in front of P.J. Tucker on the sideline in front of the Houston bench to give them a 107-102 lead, I think it was, was ridiculous. And that was shortly after he had his fingers hit again and he was trying to shake it off. Wow, Friday night was unbelievable. Um, To yesterday, the first game, Denver hosting Portland in a game seven. C.J. McCollum was amazing. And the part of the McCollum going for 37 in a game seven for the Blazers win in Denver was the the thing that amazed me and is probably a really good sign and maybe a telling sign as to why Portland can compete in this next series is that Damian Lillard didn't mind at all deferring to McCollum. No crazy ego in a big spot he deferred to the player who gave them their best chance to win. Lillard at one point was one for 12. He ended up three for 17, hitting two huge threes in the fourth quarter. One, one, of them after a great steal, he was really good in the game. Other than shooting wise, he was three for 17. He had 10 rebounds. McCollum was 17 of 29. By the way, you want to know how to win a game seven on the road? have your starting backcourt combined for just one turnover for the entire game. One. Lillard had it. McCollum didn't have any turnovers. For as much as the two of them handle the basketball, not to have a turnover for McCollum and just one for Lillard is impressive. As a team, they only had four turnovers in a seventh and deciding game on the road. Their bench was great. Evan Turner played really well. And Zach Collins, for those of you that have listened for a long time, Zach Collins was one of the guys in the 2017 draft that I loved, that I thought eventually was going to become a great pro, in part because he was a badass competitor. And he was awesome yesterday off the bench. Seven points, five rebounds, four block shots in 23 minutes. So much so that... um, both Mark Jackson and, uh, and Van Gundy both spent two minutes talking about him. And one of the things that Van Gundy said and Mark Jackson agreed with, and I I'm I'm not in love with this crew. I love Breen and I like Mark Jackson. Fine. Mama, there goes that man. Don't love that all the time. Okay. I'm tired of that. And I am tired of Van Gundy saying, "You know what the NBA should do is if they're gonna if they're gonna foul him at the half court line, they should get five free throws." Like just you know, all the stuff that he comes up with in the middle of a big game, and you're he's coming up with the dumbest ideas you've ever heard. But he said something about Zach Collins. He said the players you can trust in these kinds of games, seventh and deciding games, is you have to trust your best competitors, the guys that won't be afraid in this spot. And then he said, some of the players on your team, and you know who they are, they are not fierce competitors. I mean, he's talking about professional NBA players. And he said, you know who your real badass won't back down, won't be afraid in a seventh and deciding game, and you know the players who will more likely than not back down, will pass on a shot. And that's, in Jackson said, and Zach Collins is that guy. He told a story. He said, I met Zach Collins' father at a game. Uh, I think he was talking about, I don't know, if it was a college game that he played in at Gonzaga or another game. And he said his father almost got into a fight with somebody in the crowd. And he said he knew where it came from. And Zach Collins is going to be a really good NBA player. Really good NBA player. He was great. Anyway, Denver blows a 17-point lead, and Portland Moves on, and then we get to last night. It's off the Leonard, defended by Simmons. Is this the dagger? Oh! Game series. Toronto is one. Kevin Harlan. I think it was Greg Anthony on the TNT call last night. That do you know that that is the. First ever in NBA history buzzer beating game winner in a game seven. That's amazing it's to me. It's incredible to think about. I, I've never heard of anything. Uh, I would have never guessed that. I would have thought that it would have happened at least five times in the past with all of the game sevens in NBA history. Jordan's game winner over Craig Elo in Cleveland was a fifth, a uh, game five. It was a fifth in deciding game. So that was when they played that first round best out of five. First time ever for a buzzer-beating Game 7 shot. And that one, four bounces on the rim before falling through. It really was an amazing shot um the way it bounced around it w- it really you know what forget the fact that it was the first game 7 buzzer beater of all time i can't remember a game ending on a shot that bounced on the rim four times no. like that and went in uh that game was great it was it was so good that i you know i delayed my game of thrones watching last night and by the way before that game started um, My one son who was at home, he's home from college. Um, he's a big Game of Thrones guy. He's like, we're not, we're not waiting until the end of the game. We'll record the game. We're watching Game of Thrones. My other son, who's not into Game of Thrones, said, you guys are crazy. You're... I'm watching the game. And so when the game became so good and it was approaching 9 o'clock, I'm like, we're watching the game. I'm watching this game until it's over. We're recording Game of Thrones. Stay off Twitter. Don't, you know, don't look at your texts, and so we won't know anything. And we, and we didn't. We didn't know anything by the time we watched Game of Thrones. But that game was spectacular. There are a couple of things from that game that I thought were really interesting. You know, And it sort of dovetails off of what uh, Jackson and Van Gundy were talking about, the competitors versus the, the guys that are, that are not as fierce. I thought Toronto... first of all, I thought there were several points during that game where I thought they were going to lose the game. Um, Especially that 16-0 run in the third quarter where Philly took, I think, a five-point lead, 55-50, I think it was. Um, I I thought Toronto was going to lose the game. And the reason I thought they were going to lose the game is I could not believe how many of their players were tight. Siakam passed on so many open shots. Lowry passed on so many shots green Gasol, you know, who was the most aggressive guy, not named Kawhi Leonard in that game for them was a guy that's not had a good series at all. Van Vliet came in and was super aggressive. He was 0 for five, but got to the free throw line a couple of times and made some free throws. Like he was up to the task. Like he was up to the moment. They only played by the way, seven players in game seven, just seven players. Pals, the other guy that will usually play, didn't play at all. Uh, Abaca was phenomenal off the bench. Obaka was ready for game seven, had 17, eight rebounds, and a couple of massive defensive plays. But they just kept looking for Kawhi Leonard. And you know what? It wasn't one of Kawhi Leonard's best games, shooting wise. Now, he was really good in the game. He was 16 of 39. Remember, he had been shooting, I think, for the series going into that game close to 60% from the field. He went 16 of 39 in this game. He had 39 shots. The most shots ever in a game seven, I think I read since Connie Hawkins had 40 shots in a seventh and deciding game. I, I would have thought that someone like I would have thought Jordan would have had 39 shots or more in a seventh and deciding game, especially when you think about some of those game sevens before he won a title against Detroit when they lost and he was going out, you know, with 39, 40 points in game sevens. I would have thought he would have had 39 shots, the most since I think I think I read this since Connie Hawkins had uh, 40 shots in a game seven for the Lakers, but Kawhi Leonard had to. No one else wanted to take the shots. So many times I thought he missed shots because he was forcing the action because no one else wanted it late in a shot clock. Um, He missed a couple of shots that were halfway down and came out. Uh, And then he missed a free throw that gave Philly a chance to tie it on Jimmy Butler going end to end. And I thought Butler at the end for them was the key. I will never understand why Philadelphia did not run better half court offense, specifically using Joel Embiid on the post. He was constantly out on the perimeter use them on the post, run their... They had three or four possessions there late in the game where they either got a terrible shot or a shot clock violation. I think they had two fourth-quarter shot clock violations. I, you know, not impressed at all by Philadelphia's half-court offense. Not at all. And actually, Toronto's wasn't great, you know, but I think in part it was because guys were passing on open looks and deferring to Kawhi Leonard who is, in, the, in this postseason, my favorite player. He's always been one of my favorite players, going back to when he was in college and I wanted the Wizards to draft him uh, instead of Jan Vesely. He's always been one of my favorite players. I said last year at this time I would trade my entire team if I were the Wizards. My entire team I would offer San Antonio for Kawhi Leonard, and I would and he's showing everybody why. He's a top 3 4 player in the game. You have to have one to win a title. You almost have to have one to get to the finals, but you certainly have to have one to win it. He had 41 points, not not his best shooting night, good defense, eight rebounds, three assists, three steals. All right? He was forced into some turnovers late shot clock situations because people passed on shots and then that last spot, 4.2 seconds left. I mean, you know, there were opportunities. A couple of people, I had a friend of mine text, he's a coach in the area, he said, terrible double team on Leonard there at the end. And it was. Now, it would have been hard had Embiid really tried to close him off from getting to that right side of the floor, because you would have risked potentially Leonard splitting the double and getting a mid-range shot to end it. I mean, the shot they gave up to Leonard with Embiid on him in the corner and him fading away from 21 feet, you know, if you're Philadelphia, you don't want Kawhi Leonard taking that last shot. I actually thought they were going to use him as a decoy, and I thought Lowry would end up driving and trying to create something. Um, Leonard could have have, uh, hit Siakam, who was open by himself off the double or the attempted double. Um, But he, you know, great players, you know, they get to a spot and he talked about after the game, he said he was very frustrated at missing that free throw that would have put him up three. He was frustrated at missing that other three pointer, that step back that he was short on. And he said that the arc wasn't right. And, and, and Kawhi shoots, you know, relatively speaking, a fairly flat shot, but he's talked about afterwards. He said, I needed more arc on that last one than I had had on the previous one. And I knew if I got more arc fading away that I'd have a chance at it. And he did get a shooter's bounce. Four of them. Four bounces. And it went in. Uh, I don't know what you do if you're Philadelphia. I mean, Embiid... Was very emotional after the game. Uh, I'm sure there have been memes created about with him coming off the floor, bawling his eyes out. It's a tough loss. You know he played well in the game. This was not a game where you know he was over on the sideline coughing and being too sick. He had 21 points, 11 rebounds. I just thought he wasn't used properly. I thought he could have dominated the game from the low post much more than he he could from the perimeter. They had some terrible possessions. Terrible possessions. Butler's the badass on that team. Redick is also fearless. You know when you talk about guys on that team. Simmons is limited, but you know he, he's very good. Um, Tobias Harris missed a wide open three that I think would have given them the lead late. Uh, you know, sometime in the fourth quarter, um, that was a big miss because it was a wide open look. I think off of some Embiid action. But anyway, Kawhi Leonard, who was the best player in this series, and has been arguably the best player in the postseason, obviously Giannis and Durant before he got hurt. And now, you know, Steph Curry in clutch time um, and McCollum, uh, you know, you got, you got some possibilities here. Milwaukee, Aaron, is a big favorite in this series. Yeah. You know, they're a minus 335, I thought I saw this yeah, morning. Yeah, 330, I think, favorite. yeah. Um, I, you know what? I think that's right. I do think that that's the right. I think they should be favored. They've got home court advantage. They're coming off a four game sweep, totally rested. Um, they've got the. They had the best regular season team uh, with sixty wins. Um, actually, you know what? I'm looking at this now. It's down to minus three hundred. I thought I saw minus three thirty five. I definitely
1: saw morning. minus three thirty earlier. Yeah.
0: So it's, I'm seeing minus three hundred. I'm also seeing a minus two ninety. So maybe there is a lot of action on the Raptors. Uh, The Warriors are an overwhelming favorite. What is the deal on Durant? When's Durant coming back?
1: Uh, He's supposed to be evaluated sometime this week, but no say as far as winning. That game is
0: Tuesday night. Game one of that series is tomorrow
1: night. I'd be surprised if he was around for the first couple games.
0: And then game one of the Eastern Conference Finals is Wednesday night. You know, and just thinking about Toronto, the team that I picked to get to the Eastern Conference to, to, to get to the uh, NBA championship before the playoffs uh, started out of the East. Um, you know, going into this series, they're going to have to play differently than they played last night. You cannot have Kawhi Leonard shooting 39 shots and having players pass on a lot of open shots. I thought that that was really interesting. I guess I didn't expect Lowry. I mean, I know Lowry and DeRozan never could get through this spot, and they always lost this game. But there were too many shots passed on. Kawhi Leonard had, um, I think, it was 16 more shots in that game last night than in any other game in the postseason that he's played in so far. Um, he's got to, he's got to get more help. Has to get more help because Giannis will get a ton of help. He's got a lot of places on that team to turn, you know, Middleton, et cetera. Um, I, I would like to think that Toronto could win it, but I, I would not bet on them to win this series now. You know, I felt good about them before the playoffs started. After seeing Milwaukee and seeing last night with them, I, you know, what happens in a seventh and deciding game sometimes is different than what happens in game two or game four. You know, there's a, there's less tightness, uh, you know, less a uh, big moment, you know, chokeability, you know, potential. Um but I think Toronto's guy they've got to get they got to get what they got in game 4 of that series. In game 4 of that series when they went to went to Philadelphia and won. Leonard was 13 of 20, ended up with 39 points. But Lowry, you know, had 14. Gasol had 16. Siakam uh, was, was that the game game four? Yeah. Game four was the one they won and they got balanced scoring Abaka got 12 off the bench. You know, their game five, when they blew, uh, Philadelphia out, they had, uh, and they blew them out in that game. I think they had, uh, they had five, all five starters and double figures and Siakam let them. That was the game that Leonard wasn't great in. He was seven to 16. So anyway, um, I think I like Milwaukee. But I'm rooting for Toronto. And then I do like Golden State. Man, Barkley is absolutely sold on Portland in that series. I'm not buying it. I mean, it, here's the one thing you got to consider with Portland. Number one, uh, Lillard and McCollum, yeah, they're better than Wall and Peel. <laughs> Remember that argument, you know, about their backcourt versus mm-hmm. this backcourt? Um, they both have point guard skills. Like they both. Are totally comfortable with the ball in their hands, creating their own shot. They don't need anybody else. That last, you know, they went one four flat from a column and he scored to give him that three-point lead late in Denver yesterday. Um, that's not what any other backcourt really is. You know, even the great backcourts, Curry and Clay Thompson. Clay Thompson's not a, let's clear it out, and Clay's really good at creating his own shot. He can, but he's not. I'm not saying that Portland's backcourt is better than Steph and Klay Thompson. I'm saying that their backcourt is better offensively in terms of each of their players' ability to be their own shot creator. They don't need anybody else. Anyway, uh, yesterday was great. Two Game 7s and both of those games were awesome. Quick word about Window Nation. It's graduation time, not just for schools, but it's time for your home to graduate up to new energy-efficient windows from Window Nation. And as a graduation gift, all window styles, 50% off. You choose bays, bows, double hung, wood, vinyl, any size, any color, all custom-made, and all at 50% off. Window Nation's massive buying power is a diploma in deals, and they'll pass the savings on to you. It gets even better. Make no down payment with no payments and no interest for 12 full months. And if you call window nation this week, take 50% off every window. Plus get free. Yes. Free blinds with the purchase of a house of windows, new windows, save energy, improve the look and value of your home. And you can do it now for 50% off with no down payment, no payments and no interest for 12 months. Plus free blinds. Call Windownation today for a free in home estimate, no risk. They'll come out to your home the next day. They'll provide a quote valid for a full year. The school year is about to end, and so is this deal. Hurry, call 86690 Nation today. That's 86690 Nation, or go online at Windownation.com. 86690 Nation or Windownation.com and tell them that I sent you. Let's bring in J.P. Finley from NBC Sports Washington, uh, talk about Redskins minicamp this weekend, first chance to see Dwayne Haskins. You heard uh, what Jay Gruden said. Um, I uh, read what Jay Gruden said, and we're going to play some of it perhaps later on in the show. Um, but what do you think the big takeaway from rookie minicamp was when it came to the quarterback? He's a rookie.
2: Uh, made some good throws. <laughs> Everybody knows he has arm talent, and and I think plenty of that was on display, but he made some bad throws, and, you know, he's throwing to guys that are never going to be on NFL fields, and he's just trying to take it all in. And working minicamp is really like orientation. You know what I mean? They just want everybody to know wh- who the coaches are, where the offices are, where the training rooms are. It's just trying to get them acclimated before real OTAs start and certainly before, you know, mandatory minicamp, which – Kevin, I don't know if you've seen it, they, they switched the schedule around this year. It used to be all the OTAs led up to mandatory minicamp. Now they actually have minicamp a week earlier. So there, there's going to be some as close to real practices as we're going to see before Richmond, and, and that's not that far away. It's only about three weeks away.
0: Yeah, uh, that'll be interesting too. And, and I, I think what you said to start is the big takeaway is that, He's a rookie. They're all rookies, and by the way, they're competing against primarily rookies um, in this rookie minicamp, not exactly. veterans. So you, you know, just I, I, you know, I'm I'm going to be big into listening to Jay because I think Jay, you can certainly read between the lines with Jay, and very often you don't have to. Um, and I think basically, you know, he he was saying to us, look, it's. He's a rookie. He made some really good throws. He can spin it. He talked about how great he spins it, um, which is, uh, you know, I think something that no one debated he could do coming into the NFL. Um, Who did you – did you sense that the coaching staff was overly impressed with anybody um, that they saw this weekend or that they were all just rookies?
2: Um, I think Montez Sweat is a guy that that really shows – just stepping on the field, the size and the speed and, and everything, r- really, you can you can tell he's got a lot going on and, and can help them right away. And and I think you know it's interesting that the the lineman the two drafted O lineman didn't get a lot of the work that all the other guys got, but I, I think there's going to be undrafted guys, especially on O line that that can push. You know, it, it, this guy was a. a Young guy Chidi Okiki, I hope I'm saying that right, um, Tennessee State, but started at LSU. Um, you know, the guy on my podcast, Mitch Tischler, loved Chidi, was really impressed by his footwork and his strength. And I'm not convinced Eric Flowers makes this team. It's not like he has some sort of guaranteed deal that they can't do away with him. I think there are kind of back-end roster spots available that undrafted guys could push for. I think safety is another one. Um, the undrafted guys they got out of Washington, JoJo McIntosh, I, I, I think has a lot of tools that, that could be pretty intriguing. I, I think we're rookie minicamp, honestly, the, the goals for the coaching staff are probably make sure none of the draft picks get hurt and get a good look at a bunch of other guys. Because the draft guys, they've scouted for months, and, and they know them.
0: Yeah, that's true. And one of the guys that they liked and they were happy to get in the seventh round, the corner from JMU, Jimmy Moreland, there were a lot of things that sort of uh, indicated to me a couple of quotes here and there that they think this guy has the 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 mentality, the the attitude, um, the competitiveness to to have a really good shot at making this team. Not to mention, as we know, there are opportunities at corner if you can step up.
2: Absolutely, I, I think you know it's funny. I was talking with Cooley about him, and uh, Cooley was watching a film when I ran into him at Redskins Park, and. He just makes plays, and he's not, you know, the biggest guy, but I think you're telling me he can't beat out Danny Johnson or maybe Greg Stroman, and those guys can certainly improve in a year, but uh, I think I think he could absolutely make the team, and certainly the mindset, kind of the attacking ball hawk. Six pick sixes in college. I mean, when you look at his numbers, and I know it was J.M.U., but J.M.U. plays pretty good football. I, I watch it. I'm guessing you watch him on occasion
0: too kevin i don't i don't i don't think i watched any of of that level of college football you don't watch the fcs playoff i I I didn't i don't think i watched one fcs playoff game there may have been one game that i turned on because it was a snow game somewhere i think in the dakotas or montana or somewhere i don't know but um i I didn't watch much of it i know it's very good football don't get me wrong and that they they may have found a gem i mean i one of the things that, that I think it was Kime and I were talking about late last week is just that, you know, in 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 the wake of a draft that had so much excitement um, attached to it, primarily because of the first round, but I think others, I mean, I'm excited about uh, watching Bryce Love, and I think uh, Kelvin Harmon, you know, has a, has a shot. I really liked him coming out. I was surprised that he lasted until the sixth round, but you know, if you just go back, you know, it, it, some of the people we're getting excited about are fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh round picks. More times than not, they don't make the team than make the team. Well, but but it's, And it's, the conversation it, is like, we're, each one of these guys is a steal. That's how it's going to sound in May.
2: but you Of know. course. Odds are, that's not how it's all going to pan out.
0: That's right. Uh, I agree with that. Um, big picture on some of the things that we've talked about in the past, just wondering if there's any uh, any update uh, on it. Um, anything uh, new on Brandon Sheriff, um, Monte Nicholson, or Colt McCoy?
2: None. Neither on the first two. Um, Sheriff, I don't know that no news is good news in that situation, but uh, until I hear something that it's not going well or a lot of times these contracts just pop up out of nowhere and, and I think they legitimately have until Labor Day weekend before it becomes a, a real problem. I do think if Shelf gets into the season without an extension, I, I wouldn't sign at that point. I would play it out and then they got a franchise meeting or I'm going to free agency and, and the money for guards is through the roof. I, I think that that doesn't, they still have plenty of time though between now and then. Um the Monte situation, nobody has a word to say about it, and that's on record, off record. I, I think the team wants to see where Monte is legally and mentally, and, and then they're going to kind of make their decision. Let's be honest, Monte's crime, the getting in a fistfight outside of a bar in the terms of NFL crimes, is, is <laughs>
1: right.
2: in the terms of real-life crimes, really isn't that big of a deal. Um, obviously, you know the, the young, the guy he beat up might feel differently, but in terms of the the legality of it, it that's not something that would cause you to to miss a season or to miss six games or, or anything. So he's under contract. Like barring something crazy, maybe the team's just assuming he'll be back and he'll be good, but we haven't seen it yet. And what was the last one, Colt? Yeah, I don't know about the the Colt situation. I mean, he should be up here. We The media will be out there for OTAs next week. And that'll be the first. If he's still not there next week, you really start to wonder what's going
0: on. Um, you tweeted something out uh, late last week about uh, a sleeper corner, um, Dion Harris. Who is he, and, and are they going to sign him? Um, I believe they've signed him to... You know,
2: the thing for everybody to remember is right now they're operating with a 90-man roster. So there's, you know, 37 spots of wiggle room. Um, but he is a guy, I can't remember where he started. He ended up transferring. I think he played at one of the Dakotas, Kevin, your your favorite schools. Um, I think he played at North Dakota. But he's a guy that I, I'm not pretending to know much about him, but Mel Kiper, you know, uh, McShay, those guys all liked him. And he, he, he was on those top 300 lists. wasn't drafted and you know they obviously need help at corner they're looking far and wide if you consider their you know they signed Dominique Rogers Cromartie a year after they they wanted him last year and couldn't agree to terms and the guy retired in the meantime and and they're still bringing him in and giving him a shot so I I think they know they need to be better And, and as much as stroman and johnson maybe showed flashes last year i don't think they were very good especially the second half of the year you know one guy they really like to to emerge is adonis alexander and it's a name we're not hearing all that often i saw him at the park a few weeks ago he he, he looks every bit of the part i mean he's big and strong and physical he's just gotta you know kind of translate it all on the field
0: You know, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to say something to you right now, and I don't want you to take it the wrong way, and I know you won't. um, But because you are one of my favorite people to have a conversation with about this football team and other things, by the way. Um, uh, By the way, that was a good win for us on Friday night, taking the Warriors on the money line. Uh, JP actually, (laughs) JP actually texted me late, right before the game tipped, and he said, "Am I crazy to think that the Warriors on the money line is the right play?" And I swear to God, I had just. Had a text exchange with Van Pelt actually, and I said, "Everybody is talking about Houston forcing a seventh game. I think I'm going to play the Warriors on the money line." And he goes, "Everybody's on Houston." So um, it was it was right after that. But anyway, the um, contrarian play. Yeah, exactly. So uh, you know, I love talking to you about uh, a lot of different things, but I'm just sitting here, and I'm talking to you about minicamp, rookie minicamp, and I'm going to tell you that. It bores me like I just asked you about Dion Harris because you tweeted something out about him. Seriously, I'm being serious. Like I wonder, I, it, I think sometimes and I'm at fault for this and I think everybody is. I, look, if there's a major storyline, and, and clearly Dwayne Haskins, more than anything else, is a major off-season storyline for this franchise. It has, and I'm not going to use the word invigorate because I don't think it's invigorated the majority of the fan base, but it certainly has brought to life a few. In the fan base, and people are going to pay attention to this, I think more likely than not when we get to the regular season games. But I do think it's interesting sometimes that those of us that are really in it spend time talking about things like rookie minicamp when I would guess that ninety-five percent of the fan base couldn't care less. I
2: use this analogy; it's kind of shoveling coal. I don't it, care uh, that much. Well,
1: I if I it, don't, it,
2: it, yeah. I thought what I don't know if you saw what Adam Gase did with the Jets this year is he didn't even have rookie minicamp. He literally just had him in for for meetings and to learn the building, and that's really what they're doing. Um, it, it it is an opportunity for a lot of young guys to to work out in NFL facility, and that's got to be really cool. But it, it, this is not an important weekend on the in the NFL calendar. I mean, honestly
0: of all the events this is probably the least important on an it's, NFL call. It's so far down there and and you yeah, know they the, 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 they had
2: 60 guys there, maybe 10 of them are making the team.
0: The only big news Making any team. Uh, You know, I guess I'm sort of waiting for that that you know tremendous, you know honest moment from Gruden either very optimistic about a certain player or not. And we've gotten those every once in a while. So we didn't get that from over the weekend. We didn't get a serious injury from uh, over the weekend, thankfully. And the bottom line is, and I I talk about this every preseason, these preseason games in the midst of training camp, yeah, there are battles, but there's nothing more I, I'm not saying it's boring to everybody. I'm not going to speak for everybody. I, I would never presume to do that. But for for me, even, someone who has been in all of the minutiae of this football team during the offseason, I just tend to check out when we get into a conversation about roster spots 45 through 53. And that's in it, August. Especially in May, right? Yeah, and that's in <laughs> August. It's boring. So, no argument here. And, and, I think because there's Haskins, it gives it
2: much more life and use. Yeah, you know, anytime you have a high rookie pick like that. But um, beyond that, man, imagine if they had taken a, a guard or somebody at 15. I mean, we wouldn't be talking right now. You'd be talking to Tim Legler about about the Nuggets. Or something.
0: <laughs> Do you know how possible it is that somebody like, um, let's just take Terry McLaurin as an example, ends up having a two pre-seasons, uh, two preseason games where he catches five balls for two touchdowns in one game and then six balls for, you know, 95 yards and a touchdown in, in another game. And then we barely even see him on the field to start the season. Do, do, peep, that's how m- meaningless preseason games are, that that could potentially happen. But anyway, I don't even know why I'm bringing this up. I was just sitting there th- listening to myself ask you about Dion Harris or whatever his name was and thinking, who the hell cares about that? I do think the Haskins thing and listening to players and coaches, Jay Gruden in particular, talk about him and sweat, I think is what I will be paying attention to most between now and and sort of the middle portion towards the end of training camp.
2: Absolutely, and and I think I think McLaurin can actually matter this fall. You know what I mean? Oh, no, I'm not saying that he can. Yeah. Um, but I think uh, you're right, man. It's it's rookie minicamp, and yeah, it, it's great. It's a good part of the. It's good for the players, and it's you know it lets us get a from a TV standpoint. it us us get a lot of video on guys we um, but it's not. Exciting! I
0: can't pretend that it is. Uh, I mean, if, if for all the and I think the coaches
2: would tell you that. I mean, I, I think the coaches officially would tell you, "Hey, man, they need this work. It's exciting." You know, Dave. You know, week one starts today, but if you got them off to the side without a microphone, they would tell you that it's not a big deal.
0: Yeah. If if, if I had a nickel for all the people that thought you know Matt Brown or or Keith Marshall or, you know, some of these players, you know, at this time of the year through training camp, you know, if you listen to people talk about it, we're going to be really good players. All right. You know what? I'm done with you. So I I really, (laughs) I appreciate you coming on um, and we'll talk when they get into OTAs. And certainly if there's, there's big news and, um, yeah. You know, I'm not even. You know, I, I I even wrote a note down to myself this weekend that I'm not even going to mention or spend any meaningful time talking about the fact that the quarterback purchased a Bentley and and drove oh, it and, and drove got it, his own
2: logo on it and he got, got his, his own logo, logo on it. it. Yeah, I mean, I there.
0: I mean, so what if he can play, right? So what if he can right, play? Exactly. All right. I'll
2: That's talk. The house stuff will all build and ebb and flow, and if he plays well,
0: does it matters. Exactly. All right. Have a good one. Situation. Thanks. All right. Appreciate oh, All right, JP. Anybody? It's never a waste of time with JP, and don't anybody think that that's what I was saying? JP and I are good friends, and I love conversations with him. But I asked him to be on because I'm like, all right, we'll talk about minicamp, and then I'm just sitting there listening to myself talk about Dion Jones and whatever, <laughs> and I'm like, okay. And I did make a note to myself. I did over the weekend when I read the story about. Um. The uh. The purchase of a brand new uh. Bentley. Haskins got a Bentley, and then I guessed embroidered his clothing brand. Yes, he's got a clothing brand um already called King- Kingdom of Pride, and he's got a logo, and apparently the logo was embroidered into the seats in the Bentley. But I I read about it. What.
1: This is RG3 all over again, and anyone who doesn't see that coming is just fooling themselves. (laughs) Okay, hold on for a second. It's not yet. It's not yet, because
0: this guy actually is a pocket passer and can really spin it, as Jay Gruden talked about. But I made a note to myself. I'm like, I'm not going to get wrapped up into this stuff yet. I'm not, because it doesn't mean anything. There are big personalities And there are people that are very high levels of confidence is required for that particular position. And we have seen many super confident. Um, players at a very young age succeed so I, I'm I'm not going to spend any more time on that you I, I don't I'm not it does not have RG3 written all over it for me yet I mean I would have to start hearing things well
1: between between the draft party and that interview with his dad with the newspaper and there's things the 50, adding the, up the here
0: fi- the $50 ahead draft party yes that one the one where he, he wanted to spend the draft with friends and family but he charged people $50 a- and ahead. sold
1: t-shirts to get into the
0: bowling alley. Yes. Um, he can spin it. He can spin it. we're gonna we're going to follow, even though training camp and OTAs and mini camps before them tend to be boring for most of it and very meaningless to what his future or what the team's future uh, will be, um, you know, unless there are significant injuries. Uh, but w- I, I think one of the things to pay attention to is just to listen to what is said about him. You know, we would have never known about uh, about robert early on um do you know that th- this is true too i was a big rg3 guy early on i made a bet with a good friend of mine joe preston and joe uh listens to the podcast um i met a i made a bet with joe after it, it i forget at what point in the season it was during that You know, seven game winning streak. um, You know where they got into the playoffs, and I made a bet with him that RG three would lead the Redskins to a Super Bowl. Not necessarily a Super Bowl win, but would lead them. Actually, I think the bet was to would lead them to an NFC Championship game. That this particular quarterback would lead them to an NFC Championship game. I was super high on RG three, and I was fooled. And late in that season, and certainly right when that season ended, some of the things we all in the media started to hear were were shocking to a certain degree they really were because this guy seems so savvy and so media friendly and connected in such a, a a a personal way with the media people i sat down with rg3 and did an interview with him. i think after um i'm trying to think it may have been before the 2013 season no before the 2014 season uh, was my one-on-one sit-down, but I had had conversations with him in the past. We had had him on the podcast, no, podcast. We had had him on the radio show, but we we're fooled. So maybe if your gut feeling about Haskins is here comes an RG three, maybe we'll get fooled. Maybe Aaron, you'll get fooled on this one. It's very. Possible. I am. I, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do here, though. I'm going to reserve judgment until I see this dude play. Period. In regular season games, nothing he can do in training camp or a preseason game is going to tell me anything about him now things his coaches say about him things his teammates say about him they can certainly be illuminating they can be in, that, that can be really good information but i'm not going to make my own judgment until i see him play regular season games I, I again i'll go back to what i said last week i think it is about um, between now and when and the time he starts playing in regular season games, I think you know you can read Jay Gruden. You know, Gruden basically said he can really spin it, making progress, but has some things to work on. All right, but he wasn't over the top. You know, in in terms of giving you an indication that he had a long way to go, and he wasn't over the top in giving you an indication over the weekend that he was really close. It was sort of right down the middle. And by the way, Jay's, Jay will be good at this for a while until he really feels strongly one way or the other. And I don't think, and I've said this from the jump, I don't think that Jay's feeling about Haskins before the draft will influence the, the shot he gives him or the way he coaches him. Jay moves on. He's going along to get along, and he's going to move on, he's going to make the best of it. And if he sees a guy that all of a sudden blows him away, Oh, he'll be excited about it. He will absolutely be excited about it. And one of the things that Jay has said before, um, Mike Shanahan has said before, Gibbs has said before, you cannot fool the locker room. If this dude's ready to play, you cannot fool the locker room. If he's not ready to play, you can't fool his teammates. When RG3 and Kirk Cousins were battling it out, it was apparent to everybody that RG3 was not the right decision. And so Shanahan was got to the point where he understood he was going to lose the locker room if he didn't play the guy that gave him the best chance to win. If this guy is the best chance to win, Jay's going to know it and the players are going to know it. And we're going to know it. And by the way, the best guy, the guy that gives him the best chance to win doesn't mean they're going to win a Super Bowl with him. Again, the competitive landscape is Case Keenum and Colt McCoy. That's what he's up against. You know, that's that's hardly murderer's row that he's facing. But um, we'll we'll follow it. We'll follow it. Uh, I just, on the rookie minicamp thing, I guess I just got to the point there with JP where I'm like, you know what? I don't really care at this point whether or not Kelvin Harmon Uh, made a couple of uh, fade catches in the back corner of the end zone in seven on sevens because it just doesn't mean much. Quick word about Launch Workplaces in Bethesda. Launch Workplaces is a beautiful new office space right there in the Massachusetts Avenue corridor. So if you're in that Bethesda Upper Northwest Chevy Chase area or even right over the bridge in Northern Virginia, um and you're looking for new office space or you're working from home and you're looking for a place to work a couple of days a week launch workplaces may be the spot they have flexible and affordable private office solutions you can get work done outside the home or in a new office it's a beautiful new space it provides fully furnished offices conference rooms co-working desks and high-speed internet also a cafe and free parking, and plenty of it. Get more work done today by moving your office to Launch Workplaces in Bethesda. Call today for an exclusive free two-day trial if you mention my name. The number is 240-800-6714. That's 240-800-6714. Or go to launchworkplaces.com and you can sign up for your free two-day trial there also they have other locations throughout the area and you can find where all of those exist at launchworkplaces.com all right let's finish up the show with our game of thrones recap
2: all right
0: there's your spoiler alert all right, I said this at the beginning of the show, and I have not really immersed myself in the reaction to the penultimate episode last night. Um, I liked it. I have a few nits to pick, uh, but I liked it. Um, I am curious, just before we get started, what was the general reaction to the episode last night, which really at times was incredible cinematic, I mean, the the shots of, of King's Landing being torched by Drogon and Danny were amazing, just amazing, yes. um, but what was, I'm just curious, what was the general reaction to this episode, and I'll tell you why, because Scott, who doesn't watch it, texted me and said, are you as upset as everybody else, and this was late last night, and I didn't look at my phone until the show was over, and I go, no, I
1: liked it. A lot of people were very upset with it. I think, Is it
0: because of Daenerys gone mad?
1: I think there were a lot. Of, I think they thought overwhelmingly a lot of the, the beats in the episode were unearned. Were just They did it without having the build to it, without having the action to it. Uh, I think that was more than anything. Yeah, a lot of people just didn't like the Daenerys. They felt that that wasn't, which I actually disagree with entirely, but they felt the, the Daenerys thing was not set up well enough, was you... not done well enough. I, so... We've seen
0: the potential of her becoming her father yes. for three episodes now. For,
1: forget three episodes. Let, let's make this – and this is something that, that has really bothered me because, you know, going back to when she gave the nod to kill Viserion back right. in season one. Like, True. Over and over Although again. Although he was a horrible person. No, and again and, – and but that's the thing. But we saw the potential. She had that bloodlust in her from season one and all to – you know, her thing was I'm going to bring it to them with fire and blood. You know, a a lot of this has just kind of depends on how you view view Daenerys. If you view Daenerys as, you know, overall a good person and overall a a person who wants to help, then yes, I can see why some people were upset by it. But – and I was going to get to this a little bit later – the one thing is that Daenerys from moment one – Had this vision that she was the rightful ruler of Westeros, that the people were clamoring for her, that she was going to be this, you know, this welcomed hero. And as much as anything, she's realized over the past two seasons that her visions that she's had since she was a child are completely wrong. Yeah, well, I
0: mean, certainly here over the last couple of episodes, she has had this sense that that it that Westeros isn't hers; that it's more Jon's. I mean, Jon's beloved, and and she, but she was beloved. I mean, uh, he, I, I want to go through sort of chronologically what happened in the show because I think that we'll touch on everything if we do that, and it starts with. With Varys and the execution of Varys. and by the way, the look John gave—yes, you know—was an indication of perhaps what was to come last night. Um, in in this particular, I love Varys'
1: line. I hope I'm wrong. I hope I deserve this. It, yes, exactly.
0: Um, so you then you, you you then go from there to, you know, setting up for the battle. And before we get to that, we get Jamie who, you know, we never see get caught and we never see get um, you know, get shackled uh and Tyrion goes in to set Jamie free and by the way, that was one of the most emotional scenes in the history of this show. Yes. Tyrion and Jamie and Tyrion saying you're the only one that didn't treat me as a monster. I would have never survived if it weren't for you that was a real tear jerker moment um it was for me and I, I mean two of my favorite people on the show and jamie has obviously had this incredible arc of being horrible and then likable and then we thought on the verge of being horrible again and i i do want to make one thing clear to make sure i'm clear in my mind jamie rang the bell right don't you think? No. We never saw... No, no, Well, then no. who did?
1: Uh, the, every, I mean, the the soldiers threw their swords at him. I understand the bells, that. The bells were ringing all throughout the city. It wasn't just one bell. Okay. That that was a surrender did from Jamie, everybody in Jamie the city.
0: Jamie promised Tyrion that he would ring he, the he bell. He would try.
1: To, I don't think he ever got there.
0: How do you know that?
1: I don't know that for a fact, but it, it doesn't... I mean...
0: Okay. Well, I, I mean... There, it the, was it was an area that was vague for me, it, it but was I It was vague,
1: but it doesn't fit. Like, f- it... it it didn't need it at the time. Well, like, where soldiers, was he running? He was running he was to get running, to Cersei. He was running to get to the beach to to try to get to that back yeah,
0: round up. That's true. He yes. and he. And by and the he way, was that, already, that was the most unrealistic part of the show is that somehow Euron washes up right where Jamie yes. is. That that was that was too much of a reach. I wish that that p- part of it. I did want Jamie. To kill Euron. I actually wanted Yara to kill Euron. And by the way, Yara was not a part of last night's episode. Yara, I think, is out. And I think she's out. Like, what is she? She's just going to rule the Iron
1: Islands? I was going, well, I have a theory on that going forward, but I'll save that for the end.
0: I mean, it would be crazy if somehow Yara shows up next week and ends up on the throne. That's clearly not going to happen. But I'm surprised that she hasn't become a more central figure after Theon freed her. She went back to the Iron Islands and she's just sitting there on the Iron Islands. That's it? I guess so. From her? Yep. She doesn't even know that her uncle is is now gone and by the way that whole fight scene was just too unrealistic. He'd beaten the shit out of Jamie, had Jamie dead to right, and then somehow Jamie's able to, you know, grab a weapon and and kill Euron. I that, I thought that actually that was the most disappointing part of the show. Unless you feel like the way Cersei died was the most disappointing, is that your biggest
1: thing? Cersei and Jaime as a whole, I thought was really being buried in the rubble. I I, and and I'll just get to it now. Between her being a, I understood what they were going for with you know she's not more important than everybody else. She is, uh, you know, she died just like most of the people there, just died you know buried under rubble. Nothing special about her. I understand. I think that's what they were going for. I just think that that was. She, it deserves something better, and even bigger than that. I the whole Jamie thing really bothered me. I feel like the whole his whole arc was almost meaningless. Like there was no re looking back on it now. There's no reason for him to ever leave Cersei's side. He did nothing in the North. It, the the going there and coming back does serves nothing for his character well, or the purpose.
0: He did. He he did. He he. Well, he took. Brienne's virginity from her
1: but (laughs) Um, we may never see Brienne again for all we know no
0: we're gonna see Brienne next week
1: maybe we will but that's not going to be a big story point I I, I think that that was really disappointing and of all the stuff I thought that was the thing that they really really botched
0: especially since you know I I think that's uh, uh I think I agree with you because at the end of season seven, when Jamie leaves Cersei and the mountain doesn't, you know, she doesn't give him the order to kill Jamie, and Jamie heads north and we see the, you know, the snow flurries falling from the sky and we're expecting a much bigger deal from Jamie, And we, we really didn't get it. We got the, we got the thing with Bran, which was odd. We got the obvious, you know, night with Brienne. Um, he would have been better off staying in the north. And helping finish off whatever was coming next, maybe finishing off Danny. Um, but the, here's,
1: here's what I want to know. So, so he has that meeting with Bran, and Bran says, You know, we need you for it. Jamie did nothing.
0: Well, you know who's done nothing? John's done nothing.
1: Well, John's done nothing, too. <laughs> and you
0: know who did nothing last night except run around is Arya. Like, I thought Arya was going to come to the house. I was expecting Arya yes. to show up at the hound's defense there, yes. which, by the way, was a pretty good battle, but them dying together isn't what. Put it this I'm way. I'm okay with that. Nobody I, won that bet.
1: That's true. I'm, I, I'm <laughs> that very, bet's a push. Yeah, I'm very much the okay. The clean game bowl. I'm very much okay with the ending of it. I, I'm okay with that in general. I thought that was fine. It's just with everything going on around it, it got overshadowed a little bit, which is a little bit of a bummer, because we've been waiting for this for Well, again, it's the, ru- it's the rushing seasons. of everything right. into And that's episodes. the biggest problem with... And even the complaints, what's really... They're dancing around the complaints. They're, they're making details. It's just, you couldn't do this in this short of time. You needed an extra few episodes here and there to let things breathe.
0: You know, I I think to have been really dissatisfied with the episode, certain things that happened in, you know, what I would say completely unreal or unbelievable ways, Um, we wouldn't have gotten there. Like Jamie's fight with Euron, if they had had Euron kill Jamie it would have been game of Thrones-esque in that that's a bit unpredictable you know that Euron kills Jamie right there and that's it that's it of, of Jamie but Jamie had to work his way back to Cersei Jaime had or Jamie had to fulfill his promise to Tyrion which is what I was thinking and i didn't know that he would fulfill his promise to Tyrion but that he would you know please ring the bells because you everybody's going to die um, and you know, he remember when Jamie said, "Well, she does have, you know, sh- she's got the she's got Iron something Fleet. to push." Yeah. And Jamie and Tyrion goes, "The Iron Fleet's going to be destroyed." Yeah. Um. But if he had just died right there, we would have never seen him reunite with Cersei. Where they said, "You know, all that matters is us." Yes. Right before, I'm assuming they are dead. They, Certainly, that's dead. the assumption. If,
1: if they're not dead, that's a big problem too.
0: Um that was unsatisfying because I think, you know, and I do understand if there's a complaint because people wanted to see whether it was Tyrion or whether it was Sansa or whether it was Arya. They wanted to see somebody who had taken the brunt of of Cersei's evil actually do her in. And and nobody well, yeah, you know, Daenerys and, and Drogon did yes. essentially yes. by yes. destroying King's Landing, yes. which I guess was uh, it was not a shocker for me that that daenerys went bad and that she went her dad and she's the now the mad queen for all intents and purposes. Yeah. Somebody uh mentioned, a friend of mine mentioned, do you think it was just the dragon getting revenge?
1: No. No, No. it was no. very you, No, did the, you see the look on her yes, face I, it, with after the bells rang? Yeah. If you want here's here's I think the one complaint. If you want to complain that they did that poorly, that it shouldn't have been, you know, she had won, and then she goes on the rampage. I think there's a complaint to be made there.
0: Kyburn's death was the best. Oh, it was awesome. It <laughs> the, was mount, so the mountain's perfect. killing of Kyburn was the best. It's like you know when um, when Lancel and and uh, and and that whole crew yes. show up at the Red Keep. And and he says to Cersei, uh, "Tell your man to stand down, or there will be violence." And she says, "I, I choose, choose violence." Yeah,
1: and, and for Kyburn to be killed by his own creation, is <laughs> right. perfect, yeah, just perfect. And
0: by the way, then the mountain and the hound let Cersei let walk, walk by. right by both yep. of them down the steps. <laughs> yep. Um, I at that point I didn't have I thought Cersei was going to run into
1: Arya. Didn't you? I well, because just because Arya had gone back, no, I didn't think that. But I did I thought something would happen with Jaime. I, I thought something would happen with Jamie, or something would happen otherwise. I not, mean, I, not
0: what happened. I, there, there were a couple of things there at towards the end. I was expecting potentially, although you know, I I, I thought about it afterwards, and Arya did say goodbye to, yes. to the Hound. Right. She said thank you, and that that scene between the two of them was great. And too. used his first and, name for the first time. Exactly, used uh, Sandor uh, for the first time, and so. Because she says it, by the way, with all hell, you know, breaking loose around her, yes. and a very soft voice, Sandor, and somehow he was able to hear her. Yes, and he turns around. It echoed. Thank you. Come on, <laughs> yeah, thank you. And in in the hound's way, he acknowledged, you know, you're, you're my girl, basically. Yep. But I thought there was a chance that she might come save him. I thought there was a chance. That Cersei and or Jamie were going to run into Arya, and that maybe the Hound was going to take care of the Mountain co- and come back, and it was going to be the Hound and Arya against Cersei and and uh, and Jaime. Um Them getting buried under the rubble, I, I I understand why that would be unsatisfying for some. I I didn't find it to be totally unsatisfying. To me, the the the, the most the the thing that dr- that really upset me the most was the Euron Jamie fight. I thought it was just totally. Off. Everything yeah. about that fight, Euron's reactions to it, everything about it was off. Um, but anyway, uh I I, I enjoy I, I did enjoy it. I did enjoy it. I mean the Hound Mountain fight made a, I think it was sort of what we were looking forward to. It was pretty
1: good. Yeah, it you know, if again, the only thing that was the problem is that it got kind of overshadowed with everything going on that I feel like there should have just been, you know, five minutes focused on them basically. But otherwise, like especially them ending up, you know, they died, they f- fell into a whole thing of fire. Perfect for the yeah. hound. Absolutely perfect.
0: Cersei, Jamie, the hound, the mountain, Kyburn, Euron, Varus. That's the list.
1: That's the list from yes. last
0: night. Um, yes. What about the moment uh, when Grey Worm sees that Danny's started to go mad and he you know throws the spear yeah through one of cersei's uh, army uh guys up front and john gives him that look there's that look between see yes. i mean we're we're setting up now for john and tyrion and sansa and arya if she makes it back god how did she survive
1: what was that? with that horse at the end well so I
0: first thought that there, that was maybe the carving with, you know, Davos and, and Shireen. Like I thought there may have been a, a, a connection there and I, for a moment thought it might be Davos, but it's not.
1: It's not. No, I'm pretty sure that was either the mother or the girl that, right. that she was with there.
0: Um, the, so I, I'm, you know, they're all
1: heading back North now. Is that what we're no, going to get? I, I, think or they, is... I think they're just regrouping outside of what's left of king's. Well, Leiden. we have
0: to, and we've got to end up at Winterfell again. Well,
1: I don't think you have to, I think that Winterfell can come down to them. Okay. Because don't forget, I think, you know, Varys was sending out those letters at the beginning. Yeah. My hunch is he was sell, sell, sending it to all the great houses. My hunch is what we're getting is we're going to see all of the great houses unite against Daenerys. Now, to what extent? Here's the funny thing, like, Looking at the last episode and looking, what are we trying to get to? What is this? Well,
0: somebody's going to have to take out the Drogon because she, right now it's advantage Daenerys.
1: Yes, it's advantage Daenerys. But here, what, what are they ruling over? Like the Red Keep is destroyed. The King's Landing is destroyed. The Iron Throne might be destroyed for all we know.
0: Yeah, we didn't see a shot of the Iron Throne still standing.
1: I mean, the Red Keep was destroyed. So at at the very least the Iron Throne is buried in rubble. Now maybe it survived the buried in rubble, but it's buried in rubble right now. I'm wondering if this is all leading to no one sitting on the iron throne. They are going to you know, the seven kingdoms are going to become the seven kingdoms once again.
0: You remember? Um, we also saw. Remember that the Mad King's um, explosives underneath. Yeah, that was interesting. Yeah. I wasn't
1: sure if that was the the Mad King's it was whatever
0: was left over and from what, what didn't blow up. It was, it was up either that the, or the it septum. was you know because and...
1: Cersei was messing around with wildfire <laughs> as well. So it was one of those two things. And it wouldn't surprise me if it was the Mad King's stock. Yeah, because he had.
0: God, you know, I hated he... the sparrows. <laughs> I hated the high septum. <laughs> that was that was my favorite Cersei moment because I was oh, actually yeah. rooting for her. Um, so what do we get next week? I mean, we it's everybody turning against Danny now. It has to be
1: yes, yes.
0: I mean, I I, I don't see clear. Tyrion and John. Every close up says, "Oh my God, we were wrong." Yes, we were wrong about her. So Tyrion survives somehow. Arya... I certainly didn't expect Arya to die there under no, rubble or fire. That, that, that's that not would... how she goes out. Yeah, no way. No.
1: I did, you know, I did like it. I, I thought that was great to show it and get to see, you know, closely, basically firsthand what it was like in those streets with uh, Drogon flying overhead. I thought that was great. I know some people had problems with it because it made her look too panicked, too scared. But quite frankly, she's an assassin. She's not used to dealing with mobs of people fleeing a dragon. So I had no issues with that at all. Um yeah. and it was beautifully shot. So
0: I mean, I would think that John right now has to be the favorite to end up on the throne if there is even a throne and left and if thing, it even becomes important. Is, is
1: that satisfying right now? If if it's just they kill Daenerys somehow, John sits on the throne, is that a satisfying conclusion at this point?
0: Personally, I just don't know if we end up with the Targaryen in any way, sense, shape or form on the throne. It, do we maybe, have a throne? Maybe, I, I don't maybe know. Gendry ends up being a Baratheon. You know what? That might be the most
1: satisfying thing possible at this point.
0: Maybe Sansa ends up on the throne.
1: Is that? Uh, she, o- over she's the been
0: she's been the one she, in this final season that's been right about everything.
1: Yes. You know, and if there was a King's Landing, I would be all for that. But right now, just anyone. You know, if the conclusion is, you know, here is Sansa, the thron- they can move the throne to
0: Winterfell name. and call Winterfell the new capital.
1: That that just seems so unrealistic. (laughs) I'm just one like that's what's going through my head right now is that it's set up in a position where we only have one episode left, and I just cannot figure out what would be a truly satisfying ending.
0: In just thinking, uh, because I'm I'm just taking this this path here for a moment in my own mind about you know Sansa being Queen Sansa on the throne. Yes, there's no bloodline for it. You know, with a Stark, correct? Um, there. But she, while she does not have the blood for it, she has every other quality for it. She is empathetic, but she's tough. Yes. She's really smart. And she would have her cousin and her sister and Lady Brienne as her you know inner counsel, which everybody would be comfortable with. And by the way, Tyrion.
1: She may marry Tyrion. Yeah. I just it's it's hard to cuz again
0: i'm starting to think that that's my lean right now you know
1: what it's it's a it would be as satisfying as anything it's just again i i can't shake the fact that king's landing is no more
0: it's amazing like it king's got, landing
1: is no more
0: it got destroyed so what are we doing here i mean it's it was basically chernobyl at the end of it yes. Have you seen that series yet i watched the first i, I haven't
1: i haven't watched it but um, no that literally was nuclear winter
0: yeah uh the other thing I thought of too is that Cersei in this final season really was insignificant. Yes, Like her that, and that's everything the other. about Cersei's character in this final season, you know, other she than had like the ten stuff lines. Yeah, other than the stuff with Euron, you know, I agree. that was it. I, and, Which is surprising because Lena Headey's been the, I mean, one of the top 3 or 4 yes. actors on this show from the jump.
1: And that's one of the reasons I had so much problem with with the, with her ending and with Jamie's ending because it deserved so much more.
0: I had a problem with Euron's ending. I wanted him I wanted it different. I, I had no problem. Euron I, I, was I, such
1: a weird he he was a character that almost didn't belong on the show. He well, didn't fit. He
0: he didn't fit, but he had caused some so much pain and havoc. Yeah. And I really I needed, wanted his I wanted his you know what nephew we needed? and or niece to take him out. Yeah,
1: but you know what we what also could have did if he taunted a little bit more about Getting you know having sex with uh, Cersei, if if that was really well, he did.
0: He said to he Jamie. said it
1: once, but it almost you know you didn't get a, a pained facial expression from yeah. Jamie or anything like that. If it was about that, then I think it would have hit a little bit stronger. But yes, I mean the the whole Euron thing. But I just thought Euron as a whole this season was an out of place character that didn't really fit in the anywhere. other th-
0: the other thing too. Um, and I'm just looking at my notes is that um that. Danny and Drogon st- stared at Cersei and the Red Keep and destroyed the city in front of her instead of going right to her and destroying yes. her. Yes. But then again, if they had done that, then we would have had uh no Kyburn scene, no Mountain scene because they would have all gone with her. But I yeah, I mean, I But that, that I, 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 I thought that I, was
1: important because I thought that, you know, if we're if we're going to or, you know, Daenerys is truly mad, then going to the keep going straight to the keep is a perfectly rational you know, if they had rang the bell and she had gone up and flown right at the keep and destroyed the keep and that was it. Yeah. That's not a mad move. No. That, that's a perfectly, it's it's ruthless, but it is a perfectly rational move for her. What You know, her realizing these aren't my people, I don't care about them, this isn't my city, I don't care about it, I care about one thing, I want to bring fire and blood, and these people are going, you know, these people hate me because I'm an outsider, fine, I hate them too. That's was the big move, so she kind of had to do that.
0: I it's gonna uh, next week's gonna be interesting just to see where all of it takes place and how I hope we get more of the setup next week for what I am guessing will be the war with Daenerys and Drogon and what's left of the Dithraki and the Unsullied, and Grey Worm will be obviously by her side yes. as well. Um, but I'm expecting that Tyrion won't and John won't, you know. And yep. I want to and I want to see the setup for that. I, I'm I, curious
1: I, to see if you see the other. I'm curious mm-hmm. to see you know Sansa coming down. Obviously, you know they they and randomly saying I told you so. You, you you they randomly mentioned the Prince of Dorne a few episodes yes, ago. They did. So I wonder if you see that happen. I wonder if you see Yara come back and you have kind of the Seven Kingdoms united against. Well, you Daenerys. you
0: you mentioned that you know Varys's notes that he sent out, perhaps to. To every, um, to to every ruler in every yes. place that they'll, you will see them get the message, and they'll say we're we're in with John, yes. you know, or whatever. I don't, I can't wait for the for the final. Last night, I mean, it wasn't that I was totally satisfied, but I was totally entertained.
1: Yes, it was. It was for what they were doing. It was well done. There were just a few beats that were off. Yeah.
0: And I guess if the bells had rung and Daenerys had just said, okay, that's it, it would have been.
1: I, I think there. there I would think, have been nothing left I in the episode. I think the better way to do it to have less backlash would have been you have it go on a little longer. You have her start to destroy the city. And when she's like, as she's destroying the city, you know, based that, that she felt she needed to, then the bells start ringing and she kind of ignores it. I think that might have played a little bit better than the okay, I'm hearing the bells, now I'm going to start going on the rampage after I had already won.
0: For those that didn't see it coming, though, you haven't been paying attention like, to the show, yeah, because that, she, she, has, she has been merciless argument. with yes. people that she deemed to be her enemies.
1: Yes. <clears throat> and, and, uh, and she had that speech beforehand that, you know, the, peop- the slaves and marine helped me right. overthrow them. These people aren't. These people are afraid of me, so they're not my people. Yeah. They set that up. Yeah, they did.
0: And the, the other thing that needs to, um, to, to get some uh, conclusion to is Tyrion basically setting Jamie free, and that's not going to make her happy. Although, ultimately... I don't think
1: he's going to go back to her, so I yes, don't think it matters. Right.
0: <clears throat> um, okay, there you go. I don't know. Uh, it, everybody's going to have their own view on it. I think going into this final season, we knew a lot of this was going to be rushed, and a lot of it would be they wouldn't be able to pull off all of it but i think for the most part they've pulled off a lot of it and i still think in every episode um other than the one that we couldn't see because it was too dark um <laughs> that there have been moments that were spectacular yes. and for me last night Tyrion and Jamie yes. w- was an incredible final moment between the two of them because they Jamie was you know everything to Tyrion yeah. and the only person that really loved him in his family Um, And Tyrion's been such a great character, so we've got another episode left of him. Really, the only thing that's surprising to me through the first five episodes is that only Cersei, really at this point, has... Not that they would save them all for the final episode... But I thought we might get a more significant death or two before we got to these final two episodes. We had to wait until this fifth and final episode right. to get to what I would call a major character death. Yes, yes. And it was Cersei.
1: Yes. And Jamie. Cersei and Jamie.
0: All right. And by the way, I think more people would have predicted that Cersei would have been the first to fall. I mean, because if she had ended up on the throne or ended up, you know going longer more that would not have been satisfying although i've always enjoyed her character
1: I, I think it would have been more satisfying than the way she went out honestly
0: yeah it was a little bit odd uh all yeah. right thanks have a great day back tomorrow tommy will be back with us on thursday he's uh, spending i think a couple of extra days over in europe he's having a great time i believe uh have a great day